Everybody likes positive miracles. You know the kind. Uh, healing paralyzed folks. Uh, withered hands that grow to full size and function. Evil spirits being cast out. Extra food, extra wine. Dead people being raised to life. Everybody likes that stuff. Pretty easy to get excited about those kinds of things. And that's what we think of most of the time whenever we think about miracles. But not all of the miracles that are described in the Bible are positive miracles. Once again, I'm going to mention the Tower of Babel incident. We've been working our way through the book of Acts and Tower of Babel ends up coming up in my thinking there um, many times. The Tower of Babel was this strange incident in which the whole human race was thrown so deeply into confusion that people now have to take college classes or go to marriage counseling in order to learn how to communicate. That's a pretty amazing event in uh, ancient history. It was a miracle But it was not a positive one. It was in every way a very negative one. Then there's the miracle of Moses' sister Miriam and her unpleasantness, the skin disease. Okay, you remember that one? Moses had been designated by God to lead his people and and Moses had this hiring policy that included the practice of nepotism. So he hired his uh, weasel of a brother and his jealous, critical, bitter older sister, Miriam. And they both had problems with Moses being in charge and they were also prejudiced against Moses' wife, the scripture says, because she was black. They didn't like her. So... They started some behind-the-back grumbling that began to erode Moses' ability to lead well. So, bam! Miracle from God. Another miracle, but, but not a positive one. Instead, Miriam was blessed with leprosy. Yeah, exactly. And before anything else could happen, Aaron opens his eyes, and knowing that he was busted too and was probably next on the leprosy list, he starts praying and acting all spiritual and asking God to please have mercy on his poor, horrible sister. Moses then prayed for Miriam, and the effects of the leprosy uh, miracle just lasted a week, but a whole week of her being away from God's people, no connection to them whatsoever. It was a miracle, just not a positive one. Miracles have a point. And the the points of the negative miracles are almost always pretty easy to figure out. Last week, we considered one of the book of Acts negative miracles, and it was the death of Ananias and Sapphira. If you missed the sermon, check out the web page. And on that uh, media page where it says video preview or intro to last week's sermon. It's the Ananias and Sapphira video, if you missed that. Okay. The point of the Ananias and Sapphira miracle slash disaster was to warn people against treating the church as an unholy or unimportant thing because that's highly offensive to God and he will protect his, his bride with jealous anger just like any decent man will. Okay. So after Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead, people sort of got the point and started showing some respect to the church. And that's where we took up our reading earlier today when Pastor Bill was was reading to us from Acts chapter 5. At that point, uh, people became a bit more cautious about whether they really wanted to be associated with these Christ followers. So when the Jesus people continued their practice of meeting daily in the temple courts to worship together, everybody else just kind of took a few steps back and said, leave those people alone and let them do their thing. The rest of the Jews would come into the temple and they'd go to the other end of the temple court where they could participate in the Jewish worship service, but they'd always pause along the way and kind of check out the Christian worship 
but just back far enough that everybody knew that they weren't one of them. It's kind of an interesting day in the life of the church. They would listen at a distance as the apostles would teach about how the Old Testament scriptures prove that Jesus was the Messiah and God come in the flesh. And their argument was very, very convincing. On top of that, there were also many times these positive miracles that occurred, like healings along with the preaching of the message and any kind of show of faith in Jesus. So while people quit joining them during the public worship services they started coming to them privately and saying, you know, when you were talking about Jesus today, I came to the place where I believe. They'd come to the Christians in private and and they'd learn more about Jesus and the Jesus life. And they would believe. And once they believed, they would then kind of filter into the community of faith and eventually start joining them for public worship in the temple and getting integrated into that rhythm of life that characterized the early church. It was awesome. And while the the conversions generally weren't happening in public worship services anymore, they weren't slowing down at all. The number of Christ followers was escalating exponentially. It was a wildfire, and Jerusalem was being consumed by all of this Jesus talk, just like Jesus had dreamed, just like Jesus had had promised and prophesied. The Great Commission was happening. It was coming true before their very eyes. And as you might expect, that made a certain part of the population rather upset and jealous. And it was the leaders of the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem. They had one time, at one time, been the only show in town. But when this Jesus movement got started, they suddenly had to compete. And the reality was that that religion was not competing very well. Gee, I wonder why. Let's do a little side-by-side comparison. Take a look at the screen. Yeah, the Jesus life on this side, the Jewish life on this side. The Jesus life features forgiveness from your sins, where the Jewish life promised these regular reminders of the fact that you were falling short of what God had planned for you. The Jesus life was filled with talk about a relationship based on grace, where the Jewish life was talking about all the requirements that you had to meet in order to keep God from striking you dead. The Jesus life featured freedom to live according to your conscience, where the Jewish life just had this long list of rules that were always offending your conscience. The Jesus life, joy, because you knew what it was to be accepted by God and loved by God and forgiven by God. And the book of Hebrews says that the that the the sacrifice of some dumb brute beast can never accomplish that for a human being. That after you've worshipped and done all the the rules and made sure you had all the blood and the fat and the meat and the whatever else arrayed correctly, that people could worship perfectly and go home still feeling estranged from God because their consciences were not cleared. And that leaves you with a sense of shame and a sense of anger over I've done it all right and it still doesn't get me anywhere with God. Jesus' life also features connection, real, healthy, holy connection with God and with people. But the Jewish life featured a polite distance from God and from everybody else. Because if you get too close, they might find out what you're really like. Hmm. Well, whenever powerful people get jealous you should look out because the fur is going to fly. So these powerful religious fat cat bureaucrats pulled this big power move. They arrested the apostles again. 
not just Peter and John this time, but all of the apostles. Now, remember where we've been in, in recent history prior to today's episode. We have Jesus um, walking all around his nation. He became famous by teaching and healing. It made all kinds of religious people mad and jealous and suspicious, but all of the irreligious people got really excited because for the first time in their lives, somebody who acted religious also acted like he liked them and would include them in his life. You can guess that it made Jesus pretty popular. He kept doing what he was sent to do, but it also had this weird effect where from time to time, people would just completely wig out and decide they were going to kill him. So, in a couple of episodes in the Gospels, Jesus is just doing what Jesus did everywhere else, and people said, we should kill him for that. And at one point, they said, grab a hold of him, drag him outside of town, and we are going to stone him right there in the street. And some miracle happened where they couldn't see him, and he just walked through the crowd. Another time, they said, he got away from us last time, just grab him and throw him off of the cliff onto the rocks. And again, Jesus just kind of shrugged his shoulders and walked through the crowd, and they went after each other. Jesus goes through those kinds of things and then ends up raising his friend Lazarus from the dead and then makes some public appearances, some some dinner engagements with the guy where people have to forever associate the newly alive Lazarus with Jesus. And Jesus gained even more popularity. The religious head honchos are really burning at this point and they say, we have got to kill Jesus and Lazarus. We've got to kill Lazarus again because he keeps coming back and making us look bad. <laughs> Get the point. Um, eventually, though, Jesus was arrested. He was illegally tried and convicted on false charges and then put to death by the Jewish religious establishment and some weak-kneed Roman governor who gave in to him. But then you know the story. The Bible says that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And to prove it, he met with many different groups of people, from individuals to groups up to 500 at a time, proving, proving that he really was alive. His His followers then did what he told them to do and they went back to Jerusalem. They received the Holy Spirit and they were empowered and emboldened to share the Jesus message and to help anyone who believed to come to experience the Jesus life. And thousands of people believed the first day and many every day thereafter that Christianity had become this real viable movement that was sweeping Jerusalem and the Jesus people were meeting publicly in the temple that was supposed to be for Jewish religious use only, and it ticked them off. They also met in in one another's homes just because they liked each other. But they established early on this rhythm of life. Connect with God and one another. Grow in the faith by studying the scriptures and listening to the teaching of those who do so. Serve one another and the world around you with gifts, money, love, and acts of kindness. So that was the life of the early church. One day, Peter and John, two of the apostles, were going up to the temple to do what they always did. A little bit of Jewish worship and a little bit of talk about Jesus and get arrested. It just kind of became this rhythm for them. And so while they were heading up there one day, Peter and John uh, healed this paralyzed man in Jesus' name. They were arrested for it, held overnight. Um, undeterred, they looked the officials in the eyes and said, yeah, about the preaching, we're not going to stop that ever. Then the unfortunate Ananias and Sapphira incident takes place and the strangest thing happens when you expect the church to then go, ooh, we should cool our jets a little bit. Hey, maybe we should go into hiding. Instead, uh uh-uh. They went right back to doing the very things that got them arrested in the first place. They went back to connecting and growing and serving. 
And the church gained this slightly scary reputation, and yet their popularity didn't change. Just the privacy of it. We better, we better talk in secret. This Jesus movement clearly was not going to go away. It was established at this point. And considering all of that recent history, wouldn't you expect the officials at some point to clue in? Instead, in the passage that we read today, they said something uh, approximately like, hey, let's arrest him again and this time act like we really mean it. Hmm. So they rounded up the Jesus witnesses and threw them in the jail. Now get this. In the middle of the night, a literal angel shows up in the jail, wakes up the apostles, and carries out this mass jailbreak. And as the guys are heading out, the angel said, now listen, make sure that when you um, when you get up in the morning that you go straight back to the temple and go right back to doing the very thing that got you arrested. Kind of a strange command, isn't it? Why in the world would the angel do that? Here's the answer. It's because it was a matter of the apostles' new identity. It wasn't just the thing they were doing on the side. He said, go back to being who you are. And who you are is witnesses. Their whole identity was now forming around this understanding that they were witnesses of the Jesus story. Telling the Jesus story was the core of their very identity. So this angel, that's a word that means messenger, but it also means angel, uh, was in essence saying to them, don't forget who you are. Don't forget the key element of your understanding regarding who you are and what life really is all about. It's about telling the Jesus story and sharing the Jesus life and the Jesus experience. You are witnesses. This is now your life, Christ followers. Get it? Are we clear? And the guys said, yep. And they went right back to the temple the next morning. The apostles understood exactly what the angel was driving at. And by sunup, they're right back in the temple like nothing had ever happened. And it got them re-arrested. We like to call them repeat offenders. Okay? Then the bigwigs tried to squirm out from under this whole crucifixion thing. And they said, guys, you're acting like we killed Jesus. You're acting like this whole thing was our fault. And now people are starting to look at us funny. You've got to knock it off. Now, feel the evil in this next statement. Sanhedrin, the, the faith leaders of the entire nation, got so furious when Peter cleared his throat and one more time pointed out, but you did kill the Messiah. They got so mad that they decided that they were going to kill all of the apostles. Okay, Peter and John figure so prominently in the text, but it says that they arrested the apostles, the group, and then says they decided they're going to kill all of them. Hmm. And they already had them in custody, so this wasn't going to be very hard. And that's when a wise old man stood up and told them all to pipe down and to think about it before they did anything hasty. They had seen in their nation's recent history charismatic leaders rise and fall. They'd seen their groups grow and then disband and disappear. Why? Because none of those leaders had been sent by God, but by their own egos or their own mental illnesses. So then this man gave a piece of political advice that was really pretty savvy and important at the moment, but which has since stood the test of time so well that it has become a spiritual principle that absolutely everyone, regardless of your position in society, needs to learn. And here's the principle. When you see something suspicious or powerful happening, give it some time. Don't prejudge it. Because if it's merely human, it won't last long. But if it's from God, 
you can't stop it and you'd better not try. Fighting God is one of the dumber things you can do with your life. Luke, who wrote this story, I think was an amazingly generous man. He wrote, I think they got the point when Gamaliel said let the disciples go and to not get in God's way because they didn't kill the disciples, the apostles. All they did was beat them bloody. Hmm. I don't think they got the point at all. But listen to what the passage says, kind of wrapping this thing up. It says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, name of Jesus. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Why? Because it's who they were. They were witnesses. Pretty incredible story. It occurs to me that we might have a few lessons to learn from it. Let's learn them together this morning. Lesson number one is this. It's a lesson from Gamaliel. The lesson is this. When God's doing something, get on board or graciously get out of the way, but don't fight it because it won't go well for you. To quote that great spiritual leader, Gene Roddenberry, you know Gene Roddenberry, right? Star Trek guy, um, writer of the Star Trek saga. Yeah. Resistance is futile. Well, Gamaliel had been thinking since he'd thrown in with the rest of the guys and plotted Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. He'd been thinking. This movement was not like all the others that he mentioned because as soon as the leaders of those other groups had been assassinated, the followers all scattered. But with this Jesus fella, killing him kind of sort of seemed to backfire. If anything, his disciples had only gotten bolder and better at carrying out their mission. And that's when he had come to realize that in all of his religious conviction and commitment and zeal, he hadn't recognized that God had been doing something right in front of him. So, now Gamaliel was backing down from his defensive position, backing down from his no religious changes allowed stance, and he offered spiritual counsel that still applies to God's people today. When God's doing something, get on board or graciously step aside, but don't. Fight it. As we process change around here, it will be for one reason and one reason only. It's the why behind everything we do, which is what we, yeah, because Jesus said make more disciples. That's it. As we process change around here, it'll be because Jesus said go make more disciples and we're going to find some way, ways to make more disciples. I know that change isn't easy. It isn't for me either. Believe me, I've just gone through a fairly large change in my life. (laughs) Leaves people feeling a little bit insecure. Makes us feel like maybe our work and ministry over the past umpteen years was disrespected or maybe didn't matter. Didn't matter a lot. But that's only what it feels like. And feelings don't always tell the truth. Give me an amen there. Thank you. So... So can I gently say to you as your new pastor, let's learn a lesson from that wise old Pharisee Gamaliel because God is doing something here. Let's get on board with whatever it takes to help lost people find their way home. Okay? 
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Lesson number one from Gamaliel. And lesson number two is from the angel. And his lesson was this. Remember who you are. Listen, your understanding of who you really are, your true identity, it determines what you do. Almost always people act in line with who they understand themselves to be. Occasionally people will act out of character. But the vast majority of the time, we just act in line with who we understand ourselves to be. Our actions flow from our identity. And that's why it's so very important to learn who you are. And then to always remember who you are. It'll shape your life and you will shape the world around you accordingly. It's why whenever any of the Purcell children leave the house, dad doesn't say be careful and dad doesn't say do what's right. Dad always says, remember who you are because you're a Purcell and the Purcells are Christians. Yeah. I'll get that microphone down to you in a minute, Noah. If you remember who you are, you're mindful of that all the time, it will shape your life. And you will shape the world around you accordingly. And the Great Commission and this whole book of Acts that we've been studying tells us again and again and again who we really are. We are the Jesus witnesses. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's how we roll. Remember that this week. That was the lesson from the angel. It's why he sent the apostles right back out there into the temple to share the Jesus message, even though it was going to get them arrested again. They had to be who they were. And that meant that they just had to go and do some testifying because witnesses testify. Question for you this morning. Are you at a critical place in your life where you're trying to really decide who you are and what the next chapter of your life is going to look like? I know there's a bunch of people pointing fingers at teenagers this morning. It's the teen condition. But just so you know, it's also the midlife condition and it's also the retirement condition. Who am I? And what does that imply about where I go from here? If you're in one of those spots, then hear the angel whispering in your your ear this morning, wake up, come with me. It's time for you to go back to being who you really are. Witnesses of Jesus. Witnesses of His love. Witnesses of His power. That's who you are. A lesson from Gamaliel. A lesson from the angel. And a lesson from the apostles. The lesson from the apostles is this. Lighten up and realize how good you've got it. Even when life is difficult. Americans make far too much noise, whimpering and whining about how hard it is to be a Christian in this day and age. And we have forgotten how good we have it. Listen, we've been forgiven of our sins. We've been given God's spirit, the the God to live inside of us and to empower us. We've been put in this community of faith that's given us a place to belong and a place to be loved We've been given the right to speak for God in this world and to use His name as our own. We say we are Christians, Christians. We've been promised a place in heaven with God forever. And that is a killer deal for a bunch of people who never deserved it in the first place. Right? Yeah. 
killer deal for people who whine about how hard life is. This morning, let's learn a lesson from the guys whose backs were bleeding, who had to peel their shirts out of their drying wounds when they got home. This life connected with Jesus is a great life. And He deserves our thanks. Even when life is more challenging than we want it to be at the moment. So one last question. Has the Spirit spoken to you about one of these lessons today? The lesson from Gamaliel. Get on board with what God's doing. Or at least have the decency to not stand in the way. The the lesson from the angel. Remember who you are because it will determine what you do. You're Jesus' witnesses. Or the lesson from the apostles to thank God for how good we've got it and joyfully lean into the work of service and of being Jesus' witnesses.